I'm Susan Flory in the 18th century splendor of the Royal Institution, the home of UK science, at the flagship event of Longevity Week, the second annual Longevity Forum. This year's theme is Longevity 2030, what next over the next 10 years? I'm joined by forum co-founders Dathina Grapsi-Penny, Professor Andrew Scott, Jim Mellon. What a day, guys, a triumph by every measure. Let's start with your assessments of the day in turn. Prof Scott? Uh, yeah, it was fun. I mean, I think what we like to try and do is bring people with strong ideas and different ideas together, and that gives us sort of a nice energy and flow to the day, and we bring together just a really disparate group of people who somehow connect and give an energy and a certain sense of goodwill. So it's been fun, exhausting, but fun. Very exhausting. Early start. What about you, Jim? We are a collaborative family in the longevity business. It's a nascent business. It's only just coming into its own. But the science is catching up with the aspiration of a long life and a healthy life for all of us. And it's a super exciting time to be alive. And let's, let's underline the fact that we are the first cohort on the planet for whom bioengineering is feasible. Everything, all other life expectancy increases have resulted from environmental factors. We are now going to be bioengineered to live longer. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Indeed. We could talk for 20 minutes about that, but let's pass the mic to Dafina first. How was the day for you? It was great. I mean, what the convening power of the forum was evident. Uh, we had a really great gathering of experts and of newbies, people who are really new to the field of longevity, which is part of our mission, is really to inform and educate more people about the impact that the increases in human life, lifespan will have. And as a result of that, I think my main takeaway from the forum is that we need to do more to educate people who are not involved in the industry about the changes that are happening. And so we have to win the battle of hearts and minds. That's next. Absolutely. It's the hardest thing, isn't it? Now, talking about your convening power, you assembled the global stars in every aspect, every sector of the longevity revolution. Now, time-wise, we characterize that revolution as quiet. It's still niche venturing closer to the mainstream, would you say, Andrew? Yeah, it's been interesting, you know, the difference between last year. So we had more people here. I think we had a broader engagement. But also, if you just look at the, the media narrative for last year, this topic is beginning to get more and more airtime. And I think people are getting more curious about it. Absolutely, it's still niche. But I think, you know, I see longevity and how we adapt to longer lives uh, both from the science and the social science, one of the big trends of the future, along with AI and robotics, and along with climate change. And just think how long it's been for climate change and robotics to sort of make an impact. I think it's the same with longevity. We heard from so many thought leaders, so many impressive thought leaders. Which ideas resonated most with you, Jim? I think that, you know, some of the people who spoke today on the scientific side, which is my area, were... 20 years ago, we're in the wilderness talking about this as a potential. And now they are being almost catapulted into the limelight. Uh, and all of them have specific niches that they address. But one of them stands out, which is Aubrey de Grey, because he has been the prophet in the wilderness. And he almost looks like a prophet. And he came <laughs> into the, uh, the, the forum today. And what he suggested 10 years ago is now coming right, which is that basically... We need our bodies to be repaired by science for us to live longer and longer and in better health. And that was the main thing that resonated with me. I've heard it obviously before because I've you know, been around in this area for ages. But the fact that he's so passionate about it, that he's devoted his life to it, 
that he articulates it so well and that it's here and now was really impressive to me. Yeah, it's, I never tire of hearing it either. It's like maintaining a car. You have to, across the life course, treat yourself, your lifestyle, all aspects of your life in that way. Maintenance is critical. That's correct. And the fact is, those people, like perhaps Andrew and myself, are a little bit on the older side, uh, will always look like classic cars, but inside we may be <laughs> the latest models of Ferraris or Lamborghinis or Range Rovers. And that's, that's the encouraging thing, because they always say that older men are more attractive. They do say that. Um, I don't know. Especially older men say that, I think, Jay, yeah. as well. I think those with beards. <laughs> older men with beards, absolutely. Yeah. And deep voices. Uh, Daphina, what about you? Of course, you know, the key question is this year, how to achieve the change in policy and attitudes required to reap that much vaunted longevity dividend. What ideas resonated with you? Well, I think the issue of inequality was raised in almost every single panel today, whether we talked about the application of new uh, bioscience or the application of technology in terms of resolving some of the challenges that humanity faces and all the way to to the issue of access to healthcare, access to education, access to employment opportunities. So for me, inequality is something that we need to address as part of the, the longevity agenda. And it's something that we need to really be very be aware so that we don't alienate a big part of the population. But actually, as I said earlier, bring them closer and educate them so they can take action. Because there are tools out there and it's not about affordability. Of course, you know, we have concerns about some of these technologies and innovation not being accessible to all from day one. But there are many things that people can do to improve and reduce inequality that doesn't cost a lot of money. Do you have any bright ideas, though, how we bring the narrative of positive ageing to the masses? Andrew? Yeah, and I think that was another big theme today, actually, which was around the narrative. And uh, obviously, it takes a while for people to grasp the concept because we're so entrenched that ageing is something fixed. And for me, the thing that came through time and time again was that we are a generation who have discovered over the last 30, 40 years that we can affect age and health. It's malleable. And you know, Jim is talking about the scientific research that holds extraordinary promise for the future. Um, but I think just getting that more positive message across, and it, it is one that I think governments have to try and work on. I mean, to me, it's, it should be quite simple, which is that over the last 100 years, we've increased life expectancy in the UK by about 36 years. And of that 36 years, 30 of them are healthy. Uh, so we're living longer, we're healthier for longer. Where's the problem? How can the UK, Jim, deploy its expertise as a global leader in fintech and life sciences to gain a competitive advantage in the global longevity marketplace? That's a great question. The answer is that the UK is already number two in longevity science in the world. Um, there was some discussion about that today, as, as you heard, Susan, talking about Japan and stem cells. But the fact of the matter is that the Oxford, Cambridge, Imperial College, UCL uh, nexus is really important in this science. And some of the companies we're investing in are UK-based. But the US is a much bigger country, has a much bigger drug industry, and is still the dominant factor in the space. Um, I would say that the government here gets it more than the governments I've heard about elsewhere, with the exception of uh, Singapore, which Andrew recently visited, which is very forward-thinking. Um, John Bell has got £300 million to deploy in this area. It's not a very large amount of money. But I think the UK government has a more forward-thinking approach than almost every other government that I've come across in the world in this area. 
And so I'm very optimistic about our life sciences area. I'm very optimistic about the area of longevity biotech, uh, which I think could be the biggest element of biotech within 20 years. You talked about the primitive nature of some of these technologies earlier, Susan, and I would say we're on the dial-up stage of the internet. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. Look where we are now. The internet is entirely um, integrated into our lives. We can't do without it. You're on the internet now. You know Everything is about technology. Uh, the internet dominates the stock markets, and 20 years ago it was nothing. This will be the same with the longevity industry and the pace of advance is absolutely enormous so um I, i'm we're really all very optimistic and, and today's forum and obviously next year's forum which will be even bigger and there'll be more events around it and more forums around the world will create a viral impact of public demand that this science has advanced so governments should get behind it now let's finish by getting you each in turn to paint an i wish picture of the longevity landscape 2030. Getting back to the theme, small gains, medium ones, bigger wins, who wants to tackle it first? Daphina? My wish is less about increases in, in human lifespan, it's about increasing the healthy lifespan, but it's, it's about making sure that within that lifespan we have better access to opportunities and that comes through the revolution in the employment space, better access to uh, education, better access to healthcare and social care. I mean, one, one concern of mine is that we, you know, we, we might have a loneliness epidemic and, and it's, it's no surprise that this is, this is a big issue in aging societies. So we want to make sure that people are informed early in their life about the steps they need to take to make sure that they maximize their, their opportunities in life. But what policy changes do we need to happen in the next 10 years? Yeah, so I mean, I can't talk about the science because I'm a, an economist rather than a scientist. Uh, I'm a social scientist. So for me, reform is invariably incremental. But 10 years is a good slug of time. So what I want to see in that time period, we've got a UK Longevity Council. I'd like to see the government putting more central a focus on how to achieve gains in healthy life expectancy and a better public narrative around its performance in doing that and a better understanding of how to achieve it. I think, you know, the UK life expectancy is not great compared to other rich countries and the trend is slowing down so we need to try and reverse that and given we're lagging behind other countries in some ways it should be easy to do that and I think starting probably is going to be about narrowing inequality but looking at learning to think about what are the main drivers and then instigating reforms around it. For me I thought one of the really interesting panels today was the one looking at what the UK needs to do to achieve some of those things. I'm looking at it from an economic point of view and supporting lifelong learning and longer working careers but think about how we change the health system, particularly based around digital data uh, and uh, preventative measures, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's all structural stuff. It's big ticket items on the agenda, isn't it? Last word to you, Jim. Well, I hope that we're all here in 10 years' time because, as I said earlier, nothing will really happen within 10 years given the relatively slow pace of uh, going through FDA approval and all that sort of stuff for new drugs and therapies. But if we can make it across what I call the healthy bridge, in other words, doing the statement of the obvious, the exercise, the relatively healthy eating, the, you know, uh, just, just staying alive, not smoking and so forth. In 10 years' time, a lot of the stuff will be in wide dispersal. And then everything kicks in. And I just want to make one little anecdote about that. So I learned how to fly 20 years ago, almost to the day here. Um, and 
the one thing that I learned was not to be a good pilot because I'm not, but was that when you see a static object in the window of an aircraft cockpit and it stays static, it's coming straight for you. And that's where we're at today. In other words, all this longevity stuff is evident to us, but not evident to anyone else. But it's going to come and hit the whole of the world in the face very hard. And that's what the Longevity Forum is about. It's about influencing uh, people who actually have some power to do something about it. And we, we really need to get this message out. We need other people to do the same because the world, as Andrew has described very eloquently, in the 100-year life is changing enormously. So get on the bandwagon. Fundamental radical change. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, Susan. The co-founders of the Longevity Forum, Dafina Grapsi-Penny, Professor Andrew Scott, and Jim Mellon.